Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Business Unveiled, expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals, where we take you behind the scenes of our past experiences in the creative industry and share with you what we have learned from them and how they have made us stronger. This podcast will help you grow a productive and profitable business to launch you into success within the creative industry. Today's podcast is brought to you by Vlog Easy. That is V as in victory. Vlog Easy is an app in the iTunes store for iPhones that help you make content videos as well as vlogging on the go to share with your audience. It has absolutely transformed the way that I do video and communicate with my audience. If you are looking for an app that allows you to edit on the go, or if you simply don't know how to edit videos, this app allows you to do just that. You can record yourself in a quiet room. You don't have to remember what to say. You can simply look at your notes, and each time you're quiet and you pause, the Vlog Easy app takes all of those quiet moments out and edits everything together. It's like magic, and it saves so much time. Vlog Easy allows you to record in vertical or horizontal formatting. You can import existing videos that live on your phone into the app and so much more. Vlog Easy Pro gives you the unlimited cloud backup as well as removing the watermark. Give it a try for free today. The link is bit.ly bit.ly slash vlog easy all in lowercase, V as in Victor, L-O-G-E-A-S-Y. Give it a try. Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and I'm back today. I'm so excited to be interviewing Liz King Caruso. She is the CEO of Liz King Events, and you're going to want to listen from beginning to end today because we're going to be talking about building your influence to drive revenue. And so every day, I feel like I hear people say, I want to be an influencer. How do I do this? How do I do that? And so it's refreshing that someone has actually been talking about this. And in addition to Liz's events, she She's a speaker. She's a tech consultant, which I love. And we're just going to be having an open conversation really about personally and professionally. And the most important thing is how you can use your time to generate new revenue opportunities to really bring you stability in your overall business. And so welcome, Liz. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I think that we could like be best friends and talk about this all day I long. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we jump into your journey on events and speaking and tech, like take us way back to where, just in your background, how did you even get into the industry and what's your whole background? Fill us in there. 
Sure. So I um, I would love to say that I had this great strategic plan from when I you know first graduated high school or whatever. <laughs> but I found myself graduating high school and not really being sure what I wanted to do. So I went to college and changed my major a thousand times. I was graphic design, computer <laughs> science, voice performance, like all over the place. Um, and I ended up graduating with a psychology degree because that fit the most electives. It was like just to graduate. <laughs> I needed to Perfect. fit classes. And, uh, and then I went to work at a counseling center and decided very quickly that wasn't for me. And I took an admin job at Columbia University, and it happened to be an admin on the event planning team. And so it, I really fell into, I would say, pretty much every portion of my career. It's been about, I think, being open to trying new things. And I've just been one of those people who I like to try something new, and I'm okay with the idea that maybe it didn't fit into like a plan that I created five years ago. And thankfully, that has taken me to many great places. So I did events. I ended up talking to my boss and saying, hey, I know what you're doing over there looks a lot more interesting than what I'm doing over here on the admin side. Um, But really, until I had that job, I I didn't realize event planning could be a career. I didn't realize that was a job that people did. And, um, And then I started looking back and thinking, this is amazing. Of course, this is what I was built to do. You know, it's one of those things you've done all your life, but you never realized you could make money doing it. Yeah, that's what I I run into, I feel like, almost every day because I get so many people that come into some of our workshops and they're like, this is just a side hustle. I do it for fun. It's my hobby, but this is what I love. I hate my job. (laughs) I hate my nine to five. And it's like they just, they don't, those of us who are wired creatively, it just seems like we're not, at least I'm not, built naturally to be a business person. And it is not fun. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But once you, you learn, and it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Once you learn some strategies and processes, it's like, okay, I could see like how this could work. Um, So how did, what did you do? Did you go to your boss and say like, Hey, I want to start like getting my hands and my knees dirty and get into like the more planning and the execution side and get out of the admin side and did did your boss help you get there or did you just have to do it yourself? Yeah, thankfully, that's exactly how it happened. I just went to my boss after being there for a few months, really. I wasn't even there that long. And I said, I think I could really provide more value on the event planning side. This is something I've actually done for many years, but not professionally. And I see a lot of places in what you guys are doing that I feel like I could help. And so I actually got promoted three times in my first year into officially an event planning role. And so I stayed there for about five years. And um, yeah, and that's where I got kind of the the basic experience of how organizations do it. I mean, logistically, I knew how to put together an event, but, um, you know, it's nice to work with a team and learn about contracts and, you know, some of the more detailed stuff. So when did you decide, okay, I've had enough. It's been five years. (laughs) How did you decide to transition into taking the leap to doing it yourself? Well, so I, again, kind of organically fell into running my own business. I, about a year into working at Columbia, I started thinking, this is great. I want to learn so much more about the industry. So I created a Twitter account called Liz King Events because that's who I was and what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I just started connecting with people. And I, at that point, I think I started a blog 
and I was just writing about what I learned. And I happened to get very lucky because Twitter was incredibly popular. And so I was able to build a pretty big following. I think because I wasn't selling anything. I literally had nothing to sell. I was just there to connect with right. people. And after about a year of doing that, I started getting client inquiries from people thinking Liz King Events was a company. And so I would turn them away and say, oh, it's just a Twitter handle and I'd refer them until I finally decided that's the (laughs) thing I could ever do. So I started (laughs) taking clients like part-time on the side for about three years of my five years at Columbia until I finally, really, it was just friends and family who were like, you're being ridiculous. You can do this on your own. You need to just leave and (laughs) make it happen. And so uh, it was a pretty organic process. The benefit of doing it, Uh, part-time on the side for so long for three whole years was that I couldn't do very much because I had a full-time job. So I ended up only taking the projects that I was really interested in, which helped me actually define a brand very early. I couldn't say that I did that strategically, but it worked very well so that then when I launched full-time, I had a pretty established brand. I think a lot of people were shocked that I was leaving a job. (laughs) They were like, what? You do something else? Yeah. My parents thought I was on drugs. They're like, what's wrong with you? Like you, you make great money. Like you have benefits. And I'm like, I'm not going to work for so like I can pay for my own benefits. Like, right. Exactly. It's just a completely different mindset, like completely. Mm-hmm. And so how many years did you really do events before you started to speak and really teach others? So I've done a little bit of public speaking while I was at Columbia, both for them as well as for myself. So kind of just depending on, uh, I started speaking at like a few industry conferences and things like that. And then I really, the, the consulting piece of my business has been within the last two years. I have built communities. I, I ran an event called Taxi Talk, which was a, a live event for event planners to learn about technology. And That's I awesome. Ran that How do I know about this? <laughs> <laughs> I just ended it last year after our 10th ah. event. Um, so maybe we'll have to revive it so that you can come. Yes. <laughs> And it was, it was such a great event. And I, in some ways, I do understand that that was educating. I was one of the speakers of the 30 plus that we organized for every conference. But it was after I kind of wrapped that up that I thought I would love to take a more a strategic role in helping other event planners who are in the independent world, which is where I am, really figure out how they could basically follow the same path I did. So it's one of those things where you kind of look back and you say, okay, now I see what I did that worked. I see what didn't work. I could help other people figure out the path that works and help really scale from where they are now. So for people who don't know, because we have a lot of new entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast, what's your definition of scale? So scale, I think that. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's a really good question actually, because I think it does mean something different to everyone. Um, the re, the, thing that I'm talking about when I say scale is taking your business from something that exists to something that works for you. And so I think sometimes people say scale and they mean like, you know, hire a hundred employees and make your company really huge. But I think most people go into business because they have a vision for the lifestyle they want to live. And then about five to seven years in, it's like, you're looking at your business and you're like, I work way too hard. And yet I don't really get the results <laughs> that I want for me. Right. So you end up just basically pulling a salary from your own company 
And then it's like working for a company, except you also have a lot of other stress. So to me, scale means kind of taking stock of where things are now, redefining your vision of what kind of lifestyle you want your business to support, and then changing your systems and changing kind of the way you think about revenue and and making money so that your business works for you and you're not just a slave to keeping it alive. You know, I think a lot of people feel like their business is just sustaining, you know? Amen. (laughs) Yes. job. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. I had a mentor years ago and he's like, your business is running you. You're, you're not running your business. (laughs) What does that mean? And then when he showed me all types of different ways to do things, I'm like, Oh, this gets, it can get better. It can get easier. Mm -hmm. Um, so how I'm, I'm interested to know, like, I'm not huge into Twitter and I feel like there is a lack of engagement from the wedding and the events industry specifically like with Twitter. But I will say Julie Alba, who years ago started Wedding Market News, she came to Nashville and she's like, can you be a speaker at my Twitter event? I'm like, I don't even know what Twitter is. (laughs) I mean, this is a long time ago. And so she like set me up an account and you know, and, and I've, we've had it and we use it, but what was your strategy? Like, I know you really built your business like from the Twitter account. And so like, what were the top three things that you did to like drive engagement? And do you feel like it is a great platform still like to this day for our industry? Yeah, that's a really good question because Twitter has changed dramatically. So I built my business on Twitter in like 2009, really I started my accounts in like 2008 to 2010 or so is when I officially launched my company. And um, back then it was very much about community. So I'm sure you've seen the hashtag event profs on Twitter. Yeah. It was really a thriving community of event people. And to this day, the majority of my business comes from people that I met in that community and or people that I've met through that, through those people over the years, I still work with a lot of people that I met um, through that online community. And so my strategy at that point was share a lot of valuable content. That's where I was, you know, the blog came into play and make as many meaningful relationships as I could. So in some ways, Twitter has completely changed because like you said, it's very noisy. It's very marketing heavy and the engagement level is a lot lower. If you look at the event profs hashtag now, not that it doesn't exist, but it's, uh, you know, it's filled with a lot of stuff. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's not so community focused. So I, I still think it's a very powerful tool for event planners, particularly now for the more one-on-one engagement. So for example, if I'm planning a conference and I really want someone to speak, I can look at their website and go through their agent and do that whole process. But I've found that nine times out of 10, if I just send them a direct message on Twitter, I get a response directly from them much faster. Um, And so it works similarly with non-celebrities too. If you just want to make some meaningful connections in the industry, it's a great way because it is still the the person typically is the one who's responding, of course, depending on the company. Um, But I have found community to be much more on Uh, Like, for example, we have an event hustlers Facebook group. There's a lot of event industry Facebook groups. There's a lot of LinkedIn groups. So I think it really depends on your strategy from the thought leadership building standpoint. I think it's a lot harder to do on Twitter these days, but I think it's still a critical component. Like, I would never recommend that someone just not use it, but I wouldn't use it as necessarily the primary way anymore. 
Gotcha. What are your thoughts on the bots, <laughs> like <laughs> the chat bots and having automatic responses for if you reach out to someone on Twitter and there's some type of a chat bot, do you feel like that is a good thing or what are your thoughts around that? I think that bots really on any platform have a role, but it wouldn't be, for example, like I know a lot of times if you follow someone, you automatically get a direct message from them that's clearly just automated. I mean, there's right. nothing personal about that. I think that's a waste of technology. Gotcha. And I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it. But I do think, for example, we've used chatbots for events where people might have a question, even though, yes, it might be on the website, maybe it's buried, but where's the closest parking? What time do I have to be there? So specifically for events, I think it's great in that kind of a more transactional relationship. They're not trying to make a relationship with your brand. They're literally just, they have a question about something and it's a pretty basic piece of information. And so the chatbot can kind of spit it back to them. So in those kind of scenarios, I think it makes a lot of sense. But from the relationship standpoint, I think people know when they're being automated, you know, and, and it doesn't feel very genuine. Right. No, it's funny because we try to enforce people to use chatbots where, like exactly what you said, where it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you start to track the Q&As that you receive over and over and over, why would you not automate that? Yes. Um, but yes, being genuine and authentic and just relating to people, I feel is, yeah, same thing, super important. Um, how, like, what is your stance on just becoming a thought leader in your business? And how did you start to realize like, okay, I really am a leader in this business and like this can be powerful. Like, how have you used that to build a business? Well, so what I, I again, organically realized is that if you go into the building of your business from the perspective of, I have a lot to learn and there are a lot of people in and outside of my industry that I could learn from. And so you go into it looking to make genuine connections. You end up creating lots of great relationships. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. There's the transparency of it. People want to know that they're interacting with a real person and that you have a personality that they enjoy. And then of course, on the uh, strategic side, you have to have some kind of value that you're providing. So it could be the content that you're creating. You have to have like a unique perspective. You can't just be saying the same things everyone else is saying, or I find most cases you're not really saying anything. So you're just on social retweeting and commenting, which means you don't have much of a voice that people can hear. So that's where I feel a blog was really critical in the thought leadership development piece because I was writing content that you get to see what I know, what I don't know, and, and also you see my personality through that. And what I realized is that as you provide valuable content where you're not selling and like shoving a message down someone's throat and you're a genuine person, you're, you actually want to make relationships with people, you start to build this audience. And as long as you know the value that you bring, you could build an audience of people who want that message, who find that to be valuable. And as you build that audience, and again, I did that through Twitter and then eventually through my newsletter and Facebook and lots of other platforms at this point. But as you build that audience, what I realized is that it opens up so many new opportunities. So I would not, you know, I think anyone calling themselves a thought leader is like a very awkward thing. 
But, <laughs> you know, you start to see that other people start to ask me to speak at conferences. I'm terrified to speak in public. Really? Yeah, I, I really am very uncomfortable. You're an awesome speaker. <laughs> when I first started uh, speaking in public, my colleagues at Columbia were laughing at me because I couldn't even talk in like a, a meeting room. But, you know, if you're getting a, a paid speaking right. gig, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> now, I'm much more comfortable now. But, yeah. Did um, you stand in front of the mirror and practice ever? No, I you know, I'm, I'm honestly too self-conscious to even do that. I couldn't even watch myself. Oh. <laughs> but the one thing I always did was try to picture how other people perceived me because I am very concerned about that, almost probably too concerned about that. So when I would watch other people and they were like using um all the time or mm -hmm. they were talking really slow and it took a long time to figure out what they were trying to say, I realized as an attendee, I don't like that. It's like mm -hmm. boring or it was seeming unprofessional. So I just tried to project what I wanted other people to see in me, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, the revenue opportunities just start opening. And then as an event planner, I'm like, what we do very well is plan strategic events. And that's when I started thinking, why not do this ourselves? And that's mm -hmm. when we launched like the Taxi Talk conference. We're bringing in our own ticket sales, our own sponsorship dollars. We get full control of the content. That's stuff that we know how to do very well because we do it for our clients, but we never get that kind of control. And we're always getting a tiny portion of the money, you know, because we're being hired as the event planner. Uh, but those kind of revenue yep. opportunities only open to you if you have enough influence to get 300 event planners in the room paying $350 a ticket. If you can't pull that, then it's, it's not really a revenue opportunity that's open. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be bankrupts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just put yourself in a very awkward position. Um, recently, somebody reached out to me to speak at a conference and they're like, it's our first year. And, you know, then it's like, well, what have you allocated towards your education dollars for your attendees? And they're like, well, we want the best and da 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 da. And it's like, well, what's your education, you know, budget? And they're like, well, you know, they, kind of skirt around it. Yeah. And, and you can just tell, like, they don't know what the F they're doing. Right. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, so I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but from someone who's, you know, been doing it for a long time, um, what is your strategy, your marketing strategy and what campaigns and what platforms are you going to use? And then I'll start asking about ticket sales and like things that I, I, should not care or ask about because they just reached out to me speak, like, can you speak on tech? Right. And then they start to realize, oh, maybe I should just hire you to help us like play in the conference. And I'm like, well, I really don't want to do that. That's not really right. the point. But the point is like, like you're saying, build up the audience and build the trust of the audience. And something that I've learned um, from my peers is if you just ask people like what they want and how can you help them? Like, do you find that they, they're, they'll tell you like the truth? Oh, absolutely. And I think you have to balance that with your own knowledge. So, you know, one of the things that we did with Taxi Talk was position it as for planners by planners. We do this every day. So we know what kind of technology you need for your events. So there's the, the layer of, what do you want to learn? What is important to you? And that is a very critical piece because that's the stuff that speaks to your audience in marketing because they know they need it. And then you kind of add that extra layer of 
here's the stuff I know you need to know, but you don't even realize you need to know. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. what takes your conference or event to the next level. Because when people come and you market to the way that, to the needs that they know they have, and then they come and they also learn all this other stuff that they realize is important for their daily lives, they walk away feeling like huge value. But that's something that you don't really know unless you're in tune with your audience. So like it drives me crazy when I see people who jump into an industry and decide to put together a conference because conferences make money. But they don't know anything about that industry. <laughs> like, right. Not, you could sell a lot of tickets, but you're not going to make this a highly successful, repeatable event unless you're, you know it enough. Like you have to live and breathe it enough to provide that extra value that they don't even know they need until they've heard about it. Right. So do you still plan events for other people or do you prefer to plan your own events and like you said, have complete control of what the attendees are experiencing? I really still like to do both. And I I do feel similar to what I was just saying. I almost feel like I have to continue planning events for clients to have the credibility to talk to other event planners because I'm saying this is what I do as a living. You know, I do work with clients. I know how to sell them I know what the challenges are in working with clients and getting paid and all that stuff. And so then when I'm talking to business owners, I'm coming from a perspective of someone who owns a business as compared to someone who just wants to talk to you about the theory of running a business. Right. And I do, I enjoy working with clients, but the benefit of doing my own events and having consulting and speaking is I don't have to kill myself doing 150 events a year. Right. I usually do between five and 10 at the max Um, events per year. They're bigger events. I get to work with the clients for a longer period of time. They typically are repeat. So I'm not always trying to bring in like a ton of new clients. And I, so I really love that side of the work, but I'm able to do that because I kind of balance out the revenue in other ways. Yeah. It's funny because people, I mean, same here, they're like, how much of your revenue is events and how much is speaking and how much is consulting and how much is this and how much is that? And it's like, it really, I don't, I don't really count and keep up, you know, of course, at the end of the year, the reports are run and it's like, well, you did this, 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 and this. Um, But do you set goals for yourself and for your company where, like you said, you'll do five max 10, like, do you set goals for each revenue bucket or you just kind of take it as it comes? So kind of a mix. I do annual projections. And so in that I lay out all the, you know, expected client revenue, all the events I plan to do, all the speaking engagements that are contracted. And then I have like a separate section of my projections that are what I call hopeful revenue. So new (laughs) things I want to launch, new clients I want to secure. And that way I can kind of see realistically, what am I really making this year? Where do I hope to be? (laughs) So I set that's kind of how I set my goals for increasing in areas where I feel like I need more speaking engagements or I would love to do more consulting or whatever. Um, But I don't have necessarily a breakdown by category. I think it changes year over year. For example, this year I'm expecting our first child later in the fall. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And so that's completely changed things. (laughs) So I don't want so many out of town speaking engagements right around the due date. You know, (laughs) I want to bring more into the New York area and do more things here I've launched a few new virtual events because that's obviously something I can do without having to travel. So that is kind of year over year. And I like that. I mean, that's the flexibility that I started a company to have, you know? Yeah. So that opens up a whole nother 
talk in terms of what is your plan being a planner? <laughs> how, I mean, are you planning ahead since your, your life is just about to change and in terms of time and balance, have you strategically like thought through how your next year is going to look? Like, do you have team members that will take over that or you will just plan more like virtual things? Like, have you really thought through it? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a planner to the the nauseating degree. (laughs) I love it. I knew. um, So I've been with my husband for about five years. And so about two years in, I was like, oh, I think this is going in the direction of like marriage and whatever. So probably about three years ago, I started getting very intense about changing my business model. So a lot of what I'm talking about has been more happening in the last several years where I have built my business. The Ignite program that I run, which is a six month consulting program is completely virtual minus a one day retreat. Um, And it's something that I can kind of add on at any point based on my own schedule and other people's interests, obviously. And so I've kind of been changing my business model, knowing that we want to have kids and that's going to dramatically change things. So I, I, and to some degree, yes, I have planned for it. At the other side of things, I'm a first-time mom, so I really don't yeah. know what that looks like. Um, I had a client who emailed me the other day and said, oh, if you're due in November, I'm assuming you'll be out till like February or so. And I was like, huh? oh, I think just like a week or two. So <laughs> exactly. They don't know how we're wired. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't really, but that's the joy is that I don't feel like I'm robbed of a maternity leave. I have built my business now so that I don't have to worry about, I can work at midnight and then not work for 10 hours. And then, you know what I mean? Um, kind of built it to not have to take a, a long-term break in order to feel like I can survive, you know? That's so awesome. Some planning, but to some extent, I mean, I think you just don't know what what exactly it's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. Do you see yourself um, in the future? Like I know some of the planners that I'm friends with that have had children, they launched this whole new kind of business of like um, event planner moms and people in the creative industry and how to not feel bad when you have to do things and like drop your kid off. Like, do you see yourself in that space or you haven't even gone there? <laughs> No, I mean, I think I definitely want to stay in the kind of work that I've been doing. And again, I guess because I've started evolving already towards what I hope it will look like. But I do think, um, I'm like I said in the beginning, I'm kind of open to whatever changes have to happen to make it yeah. <laughs> make it work. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's so exciting. And you have two little dogs. I have one. Yes. Oh, one you have one dog. Buddy. I think. Our dogs kind of look alike. Do they? Oh, I have I to look at your dog. Is it a multi? <laughs> so they're Maltipoos. And oh, okay. one looks like um, the Maltese, kind of like your dog. And then um, the other one looks like a little baby poodle. Um, <laughs> I, I see some dogs in your pictures. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it looks like yes. Lily. My little buddy, he's 13 years old, but he looks like a puppy and he still acts like a puppy. Aww. So we're hoping we can keep him for many more years. Do you think that he knows that a baby's coming? Yes. Now I can't even go to the bathroom without him scratching on the door. <laughs> He's really? very attached. It's it's funny because I always, I'm a dog person, but I'm not one of those who like is obsessed, you know, right. where I want to like put him in clothes and have him kiss me on the lips. And right. um, I, so I had always kind of thought when people said that their dogs know, I always thought, okay, that's nice. <laughs> You're crazy. <Yep. laughs> 
<laughs> but now I realize, no, they, they really do. <laughs> I'm not sure Aww. how, but. So, yeah. I mean, I know you, you said like you really, you know, have built the business and it sounds like you really have a strategy. And so are you able and how do you step away from the business and take time like for you and your family? Like how do you make sure that that happens and there's a good balance? That's a great question. So one <laughs> of the things that I did a few years ago uh, and then I kind of reevaluated in the last, I would say two years or so, was I like to really define my five top core values as a person and and kind of keep those very visible in my life so that I can constantly make decisions around that. Family was for me like the number one priority. Even before being married and having kids, I have six nieces and nephews. We have a very tight family. And so that kind of things like flexibility to go to concerts at noon. Like, I don't know why all the kids' concerts are like in the middle of the day, but right. it's like, do moms not work? I know, is great. And so uh, for me, it's it gets scheduled in just like my meetings do. So as soon as I always tell my sister, she has four kids and my brother who has two, as soon as you know something is happening with the kids, let me know. I'm going yeah. the calendar. And then, I mean, honestly, my business at this point is so flexible that not only can I work like whatever times I want, but I've really focused on that kind of recurring revenue that's a little more automated. I still have to work for it, but I don't necessarily have to work. Like I really used to work 100 hours a week just to keep the business going. And I feel like now I've put that, I've paid my dues. (laughs) Now if I can work 40 or 50 hours a week, that's great. If it's less, my business is not going to die. And so that gives me the flexibility then to be at this place where I, I can prioritize family and do things like that. It's it's a transition though. I think everyone wants to live that life without paying the dues up front. You know, it's like, oh, if I start my business, then I can just work whenever I want. <laughs> and then yep. it never really grows because you're not really working on it. So I, I don't believe really in passive income where you can do things where you just never have to touch it and money just keeps flooding into your bank account. That shit don't exist, people. <laughs> I mean, for exist. real. But, you know, there are ways to kind of make things a little easier and like, for example, the Ignite program, like I mentioned, is an online program. So it's a video call once every two weeks with the person and some resources that I send, you know, so I can really, the value that I'm providing is still really high, but it doesn't require a ton of my time. Learning how to not trade, you know, hours for dollars was a huge transition in my business. Yeah. Do you find that people that go through your Ignite program, I'm just curious because, you know, we have a few online programs and I mean, exactly to what you just said, people think because we have online programs, we just hit go and, you know, you're done. And so what they don't realize is the investment, the time investment first off to build the build the shit. (laughs) And then the amount of coding and, you know, it does cost um, depending on if you're doing it yourself. I mean, your time is still valuable and worth something. And so I I remember when we launched our very first online program, which was so bad years ago. um, I remember at the end of the quarter, my accountant saying, okay, you've invested $32,000. And I'm like, what? Wow. Like I want to vomit. Cause you know, you just, it's like, yes, we need this. Yes. Let's keep going. And yes, and yes, and yes. And so I was working with all these different consultants who were telling me what to do. And 
what I learned from that is they don't know our industry. Mm. And I was kind of an idiot where I thought I could just pay somebody else to do it and take the easy way out, you know, because they're all in business. They're like outsource, outsource, outsource. If you're not good at this, you know, don't, don't do it. And so, but when I went back into the back end and started to learn more about like the software and the platform and the analytics and what was happening, I'm like, these people are basically a lying to me and stealing from me. And so then I would question them, which they weren't used to it, me questioning, because I would just say, okay, here's some money, go do it. But then when the results weren't quite there, because of course, like I'm going to set goals for myself and for the program. And so you constantly, I feel like have to tweak and you constantly have to spend dollars to market it. Or like you said, build a community. And the other big thing I learned is like, have a beta group, go through it and make (laughs) sure that it's damn near perfect before you like launch it to the public and, you know, get feedback. So I'm just wondering like, for your Ignite program, like what are some of the results and the things that you have learned in like launching it and then taking people through it? Yeah. So I've learned my hard lessons about program development like this <laughs> through many different platforms. And I, I've read a very popular book, which I'm sure you're familiar with, The Lean Startup, a few years ago. Yep. Yep. Um, and I've really embraced that method because I, I used to definitely be a person who like tried to build it all, perfect it all, make it amazing, and then launch it, and then had way too many issues and wasn't quite right, the content and whatever. And so with Ignite, I um, launched it as a group program. I kept it limited to five people, which we ended up with four actually in the end. And um, I made it a year-long program, and it was completely hands-on. So I, I went into it with nothing prepared other than an outline of the content I knew I could cover so that I knew it would obviously last year. And, um, and then what I did was I, because I was going through it myself with this group, I learned a lot. So I learned, for example, that a year is quite frankly too long because you can always say, oh, I'm, I'm really busy this week. I'm going to get to it next week. When you overload people with homework, you know, if I'm giving them, let's say two hours of homework every week, if I give them four, it gets done much faster because they're forced to kind of prioritize that. So I changed it from a year to six months. I realized that it was great to do it as a group, but really the piece that happens as a group is more something that could happen in a Facebook group. It could be something where they just want feedback from each other. Like I'm working on my website. What do you think of this copy? What do you think of the pages, et cetera. And so I have now launched it as an individual program. So I can take one person at a time which certainly helps me from a marketing standpoint, but also just a capacity standpoint. If I have time this month, I can take a new client. And if I don't, then I don't have to start a whole group of five to run it. So I learned a lot about how they work, how the content resonates with them. And then now that I have a six month program, I've learned what pieces do I have to be it's like a a one-on-one thing. There's a lot of personal consulting. And so that's where I scheduled the bi-weekly calls. Um, But the homework, for example, I don't need to have a call with them just to give them the homework. I can write that out and send that to them through an email. Um, And so I've figured out like what parts can be automated without losing value and what parts really have to be tailored to that particular client. And in that case, they, there's no question that this is not something I've created. And then I just hit send on because it's literally live and completely to what they're dealing with today. And so it's finding that balance, you know, just learning from my own experience with other programs and going through them as a participant 
And then literally just kind of that lean startup model, building it as I go, getting a ton of feedback and never being afraid to change it up completely. That's awesome. What are your thoughts around um, pre-selling programs or events before you actually create them? Have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> I do that. That's what I do. All the oh, time. really? <laughs> <laughs> that is my, uh, my motivator. <laughs> gotcha. So you... I was at a I was in this group years ago and um and I had one of my team members with me and it was a, a mastermind group of like 20 of us and the girl that was leading it um she's like oh I don't develop anything like I pre-sell stuff and like do this launch and people pay for it up front and then I use that money to then go plan the event and I'm like wait what <laughs> I'm like, and as a planner, this is when I realized like, holy shit, I'm stuck in a box and I'm like, let's work smarter, not harder. And so it's like, I had always done the opposite. It's like, let's build it and we're ready. And then, you know, we can market it and people will come. And then, so, so, so you do do that and it exists and it sounds like you've had good results because you have that trust with your audience, I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, there's a good amount of research and some preparation that goes into it. I never really just, for example, I'm doing a new um, business intensive retreat. So just kind of going off that feeling that people need to just get away for a day and have time to work on their business. They don't want necessarily another conference where they learn so much. It's like getting shot at with a fire hose. Mm -hmm. And then you just have a long list of stuff to take back that you never implement. So I created this one-day retreat. I created the agenda. I talked to a bunch of people about what kind of content would be valuable and all of that. And then based on that, I created a one-page site and I'm selling it. I haven't booked a venue, but I kind of know what size I'm going to need. And I have venues in mind, but I'm, I'm yeah. not paying for anything until it sells. So it's been really good to kind of like, do the research, put it out there. And I think the research piece is important so that you don't put a lot of stuff out that you end up canceling. Um, yeah. Because then your best fans, you know, those five people who buy tickets, everything that you do, mm -hmm. that gets really frustrating. So it has to be something that you can either just scale down and do with whoever does sign up or something that you believe in enough that it will take off. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people have these ideas of things they want to do for their own business, but they never make the time so I always tell the Ignite participants, do the research, put it out. As soon as it's to the public, you're like, foot is to the fire. You have to make it happen. And especially once people start buying tickets, game over. And so that to me was like the driving force. It's like, okay, if I said I'm doing this September 10th, guess what? This is happening September 10th. And it's yeah. my, my motivation to get it done and to do it really well. Uh, so I don't do it with necessarily all of my projects, but to whatever extent I can kind of get the, the basic concept and launch it and see the interest, I always enjoy doing that. That is so smart. That is so awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so for people who want to check out the consulting program, the link is lizkingevents.com slash ignite. And how did you pick that name for it? It's really just that, you know, that kind of like matchbox idea that you you have a business, you have a set number of clients, but you're ready to really take this, let it take off. You know, you want to light that match and really get it going. And so the ideal clients for this are people who have been in business and have a client list 
or people who are just starting out and really don't want to make the five years of mistakes that most of us make before we decide I probably need to change things up. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, you know, I, I really, every time I think of the Ignite name, I think of that like lighting a match and just watching things really go to the next level. That's awesome. Do you, so the people that go through your program, it sounds like you've really perfected it. So you know, like six months is a good mark. Do you find that people instantly have results or do you find that some people say, you know, I've realized that this is a hobby. I don't want to do the business portion and thank you for helping me figure that out. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a big piece of it that is defining who you are, your niche, your audience. That's what we spend a lot of time on in the very beginning. And so, and the other piece is there's work. So I made it a six month program because this is not something I can teach you in 10 weeks. And then you go and your business is completely different. It's a transformation that takes time right. and work. So they do get some results right away. And then it's one of those like a, a six months or a year in, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe where my business is now compared to where it was. Um, I have had some people who have said, oh, look at this. Now that I've spent some time really looking at how I want my business to run, I've decided I don't want to do it anymore. And to me, that's like a big win <laughs> because it saves totally. you however many other years. And I've also had people who've taken the program and said, this is awesome. I don't want to do it in the events industry anymore. What I'm really passionate about is conservation or mother's self-care. And they're able to take what they've built so far and kind of transition it into a new industry that makes them much happier and is a lot easier to market because it's true to who they are. A lot of people do event planning because they have organizational skills and that's kind of what comes to mind. And then when you really do that dig deep, you start thinking, wait a minute, I mean, cool, events are cool, but I could use events in any industry to do something that I really love. And so it's kind of a different journey for every person, but I think the idea is to clarify what really makes you happy and where do you want a business to take you and then build the business that supports that. So it's a huge transitional moment for people. That's amazing. Like when I first started doing some of our programs and people would come back to me and say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm really learning. Like, I just want to do it for fun and, or for like a lifestyle, like you said earlier, like just for extra money. Mm -hmm. And I used to get like really discouraged. I'm like, what? Yeah. And then my business group, they were like, Ange, reframe. Like you helped this person okay. <laughs> who was like trying to do this kind of the hard way. But now that they realize that they only should spend their time doing the fun ones, like helping people who maybe are just friends and family and that's okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I should look at it that way. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm finding like, as I go through these, it's kind of like half and half. Yeah. And it's like people that are super serious and they're not that they're not driven. It's just, they're in a different point in their life. And I'm also finding that that the clients now, like they're over 50, like they're almost like people who've already had a career, they're retired and they think they want to get into be doing another business and being an entrepreneur. And then they're like, Oh, I just kidding. Like I really just want to be retired. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fun. So yeah. like, do you have a, like a, a perfect client that would go through like that Ignite program that in terms of like a client avatar, do you know who that is or is, is it just kind of like all over the place? No, ideally it is someone who has been in business for five to seven years. They have a solid client base. They enjoy the work that they do and they are very good at what they do. 
but they feel like there's like no one notices, no one realizes that they're the queen or king of X, Y, and Z. And they feel like they're kind of working in a vacuum. They get the same clients every year. And then they have these ruts where it's like looking at your, like most people don't even do projections, but if they did, they would be terrified of the empty months. (laughs) How am I going to fill that up? Or a client disappears one year and suddenly my whole life is thrown. And you start thinking at that point, I think you start really questioning can I keep doing this? Is this something that is really going to last 15, 20 years? A lot of people in that five to seven year time frame are thinking, I don't necessarily want to be on site at events a hundred days of the year. I don't necessarily want to give up all my weekends. I, you know, And so it's at that really critical point where I like to work with people because it's you're very clear at that point that something has to change. And And that's when we can really dig into who are you as a person? What makes you really happy? What would a business look like if it's supporting your vision for your life and your lifestyle? And, and from there, there are so many possibilities and, and yeah, it's a little bit weird to be like, oh yeah, people went through my business program and decided to close their business. (laughs) It sounds very weird, but that's where I like it because if you decide that, yes, I do want to continue doing my business there's so many opportunities. And I think it's that, that thought leadership piece, getting people to think about if I put myself out there and really talked about all the things I'm doing and shared the things I know, people would know it. And then I would get recognized. And then I could open new revenue opportunities. I could hold my own events. Like, why am I not building my own audience? Why am I not public speaking? And all of those revenue things make those months that are you know low in client work way less scary and positions your business to work for you. So that to me is like the ideal place to be. Uh, We do, like I said, we do work with some companies who are just starting out and some people who've been in business. uh, One of our clients has been in business over 20 years. So it's it's just at at that point, it's that friction point where you're thinking, if I'm going to do this or since I've been doing this so long, I got to do it the right way at this point. Amen. <laughs> well, we are out of time. Unfortunately, I could literally talk to you all day. I know. Um, but I want for I want people to know about your Facebook group for event hustlers. And so what is a good definition of someone that can get value and give value to your Facebook group called Event Hustlers? Sure. So Event Hustlers is just a free private Facebook group. The only recommendation, the only requirement is that you are an independent person within the events industry. You can be on the vendor side or an independent planner, and you can also be someone who is thinking about becoming an independent planner. So sometimes you'll see like corporation names, but they're really about to leave. <laughs> so that's a private thing, obviously. Gotcha. And it's just a free group for people to share. We talk about this past week, someone was asking, how do I price my services? Someone else has been looking for a particular venue. So it's a, it's a way to share resources. And I'm a big believer that independent planners should be working together and not competing against each other. And so this is a platform for that. I think we launched uh, maybe in February and we have about 300 people in the group so far. So it's growing pretty quickly and, and there's a lot of value. We do monthly video calls about different business topics and it's just a free way to kind of get involved in the community and find some value and share your experience with other independent planners. I love it. Well, guys, make sure you check out Liz at LizKingEvents.com. You can email her, Liz at LizKingEvents.com. Liz, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It was so much fun talking to you.
Awesome. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. Be sure that you are subscribing so you get the notifications and you know when we have a new episode of Business Unveiled. Everybody have a great day. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. And I'm so very grateful if you leave a review. Be sure you are a subscriber so you never, ever miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. Also, be sure that you are part of my email list. And if you're not, sign up today at AngelaProfit.com, where I share valuable resources and exclusive products with only my subscribers. Now, before I go, I want to ask you, if you have a story or a product to share with the creative industry, please let me know. To be considered as a guest on Business Unveiled, visit AngelaProfit.com and submit a podcast guest form. Until next time, remember to stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit AngelaProfit.com.